Well, good morning. Man, I do not have a voice to sing anymore, um, and I chose to sing three songs tonight, so I'll be drinking some tea or something this afternoon to prepare for that. Uh, want to make sure I invite everybody again tonight. I know James already uh, invited everyone, but please, 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 if you have plans tonight, cancel them. Uh, they're not very important, but please come tonight to our prayer service because I would like everybody to come and support a young man uh, named Justin Harbin, who will be doing a, um, a devotional sermon. I really don't know how long. He may be up here for 30 minutes, um, but he's going to be doing the lesson tonight. I'm very uh, proud of him and him wanting to do that. And uh, this morning he asked, hey, is it okay if I also do a PowerPoint with it? So if I'm looking at wanted ads for preaching jobs after this, after tonight, uh, that would be great. So I'm very happy and thankful for him, and I, I appreciate all the young men and old men in this congregation, and I, I really would love it if you all could come support him and, and encourage him um, so that uh, he'd want to keep doing it, and also encourage all the other young men to want to get up and, and do something like that. Uh, this morning, we're continuing in our, our uh, sermon series on the book of Judges. I did a little something different this morning. I just went ahead and put the outline in the bulletin. So if you didn't get a bulletin, uh, you didn't get an outline. Uh, but that's where I wanted to go ahead and put it. That way we didn't have sheets strung out everywhere and it, it made it just easier. Uh, so, and you get to take the bulletin home and see all the upcoming stuff. That way there's no uh, excuses as I didn't see it. So, um, we're going to continue in this study, and we're going to be talking about Gideon again this morning. But uh, I was thinking about this as I was studying through this lesson, and you may have already seen the title slide about dreams and stuff. And I remember, I, I always have dreams, it seems, when I eat ice cream late at night. Anybody else, that same person? I never get good sleep if I eat ice cream late at night. I love ice cream, um, so there's a trade-off. Either eat ice cream or, or have terrible sleep. Um, I like to eat ice cream, so I'll just take the terrible sleep. Uh, but every time I eat ice cream, I always have these crazy dreams of stuff, and, and I don't think they're coming from anywhere, just that I had way too much sugar right before I went to bed. But it is interesting that God has used dreams throughout the Old Testament and in the New Testament when Peter saw that vision or, or dream. And you see these dreams and how God used them for a, a specific purpose. Maybe you're thinking of Joseph in Genesis when he received dreams on different occasions and it helped him move up the ranks to where he could get in a position to help people uh, later on. You also think about Daniel and how he interpreted the dreams and actually told the dreams to Nebuchadnezzar and, and let him know this is what your dream is and this is what God is saying this dream is, right? And, and God has used dreams in various occasions and, and what you find is that there's a lot of power in those dreams. And you're going to see, and I, when I was studying through this lesson, I had always heard it preached or taught one way. But when you actually read through Scripture, you find out that this dream or these dreams play a huge role in this chapter. And we're going to learn about this dream power this morning as we go through this lesson in Judges chapter 7 verses 1 through 25. And again, if I miss any questions on that outline or there's something on there I didn't get, don't hesitate to stop me afterwards. 
um, when we are leaving services today and ask me, hey, I miss this because I have it all. Sometimes I, I get a little bit scattered up here, so um, please don't hesitate to talk to me about that. We're going to have four teaching points as we go through this text and how I want to do it. It's just as we're going through the text, we're going to stop. Where there's a teaching point, there's going to be a lesson about that, and we're going to learn that this morning as we go through, as we study about Gideon and him going into battle against the Midianites. So look with me at the first part of this lesson. Then, Jerubbabel, in verses 1 through 3, Jerubbabel, that is Gideon, okay, Let's just go ahead and stop there. This isn't the main teaching point, but you may be asking yourself, when in the world did Gideon get a new name? If you were to jump back to um, chapter 6, verse 32 of Judges, this is where Gideon got this new name. And this new name means let Baal contend against him, talking about Gideon. See, what had happened in the previous chapter is after God had called Gideon into being his deliverer for the Israelite people, he was in his home and God said, hey, I want you to take these two bulls and go and pull down your dad's statues, these altars to Baal and Asherah, which is just the wife of Baal. And so he did that. He did that at night and then he built an altar to God and offered one of those bulls. And then the men of that area woke up the next morning and said, what in the world just happened? And they said, oh, that was uh, Gideon. He did that. He pulled those down. And so they went to his father and said, hey, bring your son out. We want to, to kill him. We want to get rid of him. And so his dad actually stood up for him and said, hey, if Baal's a god, let him deal with him. If he's supposed to be this great god, let him contend with Gideon. And so he got the name Jerubbabal, right? And so that is how you get that name. I know sometimes things get thrown in that weird, and I just wanted to explain that as we continue. So then you have Jerubal and all the people who were with him rose early and camped beside the spring of Herod. And the camp of Midian was north of them by the hill of Moray in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, the people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me. Underline that, that's going to be important to this first teaching point. Saying, my hand, my own hand has saved me. Now therefore proclaim in the ears of the people saying, whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people return and 10,000 remained. So now if you think about this, we have about 32,000 troops that started out with Gideon. They're all encamped with him. And God said, I need to dwindle these numbers down. Well, why did he want to dwindle the numbers down? Because he knew that if this army went in and defeated the Midianites and the Amalekites, they would say, look at what we did. We just beat them. Good for us. Look how good we are, right? And who wouldn't have received the glory? God. And so all because of their pride and their, their, their uh, just boastfulness, God said, nope, let's take the numbers down. Now, you've got to understand how many were a part of the Midianites and the Amalekites. Lots. If you were in looking in the previous chapter, they were like locusts when it was harvest time. They would come in and 
destroy the fields and take all the produce. And they have been oppressing these Israelite people for so many years. And so God said, "Mm, that's too many. And so the first test that they find themselves in is if there is anybody who has any sort of fear, let them go home. And so how many people went home? He said, then 22,000 return. That's a pretty big chunk of people. Right, that's a third of the army, or two-thirds of the army that said, see you later, we're going home. And so now all we're left with is 10,000. But I want you to notice those two statements. Lest Israel boast over me, and then my own hand has saved me. Kind of seems natural for us as humans to think that we do things on our own, isn't it? Where we start to think, look at what I have accomplished in this life. Look at what I have been able to do with all of these gifts that I have worked to get in my life. Look at all these skills that I have and all of these things that I have done. It's all natural for us to do that, isn't it? It was natural for the Israelite people, right? And that's why God has to say, hey, we need to dwindle these numbers down in case y'all start boasting about yourselves and that look at what you did. That's what the first teaching point is. Notice Give the glory to God and don't take it for yourself. There's a lot of times in our life where we may find ourselves thinking, look at the empire I have created. Now, that empire may just be a home and a car and a family, but who did that for you? I truly and honestly believe that God has put you in that situation. God has given you the skills in your life to get to where you are in your job, to get to the, the family that you have, to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. Now, I think he's doing it so that you'll use that to glorify him. But how sadly do we glorify ourselves in those moments? We think, uh, of look at the mountaintop I was able to climb. Look at the things that I was able to do. If you think about it in our, our spiritual lives, We think about, look at what I was able to do, not God. Look at how much scripture I was able to memorize. Look at how many people I was able to uh, evangelize to. Look at all of these services that I've been able to come to. We think about me, and we don't think about God. We think about in business, I did all of this on my own. None of it was from God. And we think about in our families, I did this, and it really wasn't my spouse that helped me. I did this. It wasn't really her or him. I was able to accomplish all of these things. And we don't need to have that mindset. We need to know, make sure we give glory to God in what we are doing. Don't ever take it for yourself. Give the glory to God. Notice, again, as we go through this, Paul will talk about this later on in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 31. Notice he says, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. What was wrong? What was a a mindset that people at the church at Corinth had? They were boasting in themselves. If you go through the book of Romans, you'll see that there was a boastfulness issue going on in Rome, in the church. They were thinking, look at us. Look at me. Look at what I've been able to do. And notice what Paul says. If you're going to boast, boast where? In the Lord. And the best way to prevent us from falling into that that problem of wanting to glorify ourselves is always find yourself glorifying God. In whatever situation, boast in the Lord and not in yourself. 
And that's one of the very first points we find is these people of Israel were going to have a problem. And we find ourselves in those problems too. And so I want to encourage all of us. There may be a time in your life where you're thinking, ah, I really did this. But who really helped you, right? And make sure you always give glory to God. Continue with me in verses 4 through 8 as we're going through this account. We notice then we're down from 32,000 to about 10,000 soldiers, right? God wants those who aren't going to be scared in his army. So then we move into verses 4 through 8. And the Lord said to Gideon, the people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And any one of whom I say to you, this one shall go with you, shall go with you. And any of whom I say to you, this one shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouth, was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, with the 300 men who lapped, I will save you and give the Midianites into your hand. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands and their trumpets. And, all, and he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the 300 men. And the camp of Midian was below in the valley. This is where you probably have to think Gideon was like, okay, God, this is a bit much. All right, I'm already down to 10,000 going up against this massive army. And now I'm supposed to do this other thing where I take them all down to the water to see who's going to lap the water or bring the water to their mouth. Now, why would this have been an important um, test for the people? If you think about it, and this picture uh, shows it well, if you're on your hands and knees and you're lapping the water up like a dog, what are you unable to do? See. You can't be alert. You don't know if people are going to be coming in. You don't know if anything's going to be happening, right, because you're so focused on that water. And so about 9,700 men knelt and drank the water like a dog, but 300 brought the water to their mouth. That way they could see what was happening. And you have to think that God wanted the most alert to be a part of this group, right? And so that's why you have about 300 left. So here we go. Gideon and 300 are about to take on this massive army, okay? Now, you've got to remember who Gideon started out at, what we talked about last week. This guy who was called upon by the angel of the Lord came up to him and said, hey, God's calling you into his service. You're a man of valor. And he said, me? I am the least of my father's house, and we are the least in the smallest tribe, the tribe of Manasseh. Who am I to do this? So not only do you have an insecure deliverer leading the group, now he's taken his army of 32,000 down to 300. What do you think is going through Gideon's mind right now? I don't really know if God's got things going on here. Now God's done some proving things in chapter 6 to show that, hey, don't worry, I've got this. But you have to think that thought went through his mind of, ah, I'm not sure this plan's going to really work out okay. Because now he only has 300 people. And you have to think, 
is God's plan really the right plan? Anybody ever have that thought? Anybody ever think to yourself, I'm not sure God's plan's really going the right way? Woo, who just became king of our lives? Us. And sometimes we think, you know, I'm going this way. Maybe I should go a different way. What if God wants you to go down that way? What if there's a, a job that you have in your life that you're like, there's no way God would want me to be here? What if he does? What if he's put you in that position because he knows there's going to be people in that office with you or people that are surrounding you on your team that he knows are seekers and he wants you to be in their life? Have you ever thought about it that way? All right, have you ever thought about maybe God doesn't want me to do this? Well, what if he does? Right? Sometimes we start thinking about the plan of our lives and we start thinking, I don't know if God's really got this figured out. Maybe I'll just go ahead and take it in my own hands and make my plan work out. Maybe something has happened in your life that's horrible. And I'm not discrediting that at all. The horrible things that happened in my life. You think, and you start to think to yourself, why would God allow this to me? Well, why is this a part of his plan? This seems ridiculous. What if he takes that horrible thing in your life and you're able to relate to somebody else? What if you're able to take that tragedy that's happened in your life and you're able to go to somebody else who's going through a tragedy like it and say, hey, can I help you through that? Can I encourage you through that? Can I help you bring yourself closer to God through what's going on in your life? You see, sometimes we start to think God's plan's not really working out. What if we looked at it from a different angle? What if God's putting us in this situation so that we can help others around us? We need to make sure we trust in his plan, right? And we can try and help others around us. And we don't need to have that mindset of, I'm not sure if he's really got this thing figured out. And that's the second teaching point. Now, continue with me in verses 9 through 18. This is a bigger section of text. But follow along with me. That same night... The Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hand. All right? That's pretty uh, affirming and encouraging. But if you're afraid to go down, go to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say. And afterwards, your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Pura, his servant. What does that tell you about Gideon right now? He was afraid. Right? God had already told him, hey, if you just go down there with this army and go into that camp, it's already been given into your hands. I've already done that. But he says, hey, if you're afraid, then just take your servant first, go down there, spy them out for a little bit, and come back, and I'll strengthen you. And, it, and the next very thing it says is he went down with his servant. So we know about Gideon. He was afraid. Right? He's starting to question this plan of God. I've only got 300 people. How am I going to win this battle? And so then he noticed he went down with Pura, his servant, to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance. Now, if you were at my house, you would probably visualize love bugs more than locusts right now. We have love bugs in abundance at the Jones household right now. And if the Midianite army was like this, I'd be pretty terrified. Right, And so you have this, this massive amount of people. Okay, When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. 
And he said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled in the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell, turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. And his comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. Oh, that's a very important section of text here. All right. So as soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshiped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the 300 men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all the men in empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, this is interesting because when I've been taught this before, when I've heard lessons preached on this, usually what I hear is, the Midianites got so scared because there was 300 different lamps, and those 300 different lamps represented troops of people, right? Lots of people. If you have 300 and you imagine maybe there's an extra 100 at each 300, that's a lot of folks. And so the Midianites got so scared because they saw all these lamps and they were surrounded, and that's why they got up and left. But that's not the reason at all. What was the reason? God had sent a dream into the Midianite camp. Not only did he send the dream, he set the interpretation with it, that there was going to be this man named Gideon. First of all, who is Gideon? That this Midianite army should know his name. But they knew his name because God told him his name. There was this man named Gideon, and he was going to come in like this barley loaf, right? Him and the Lord were going to destroy the Midianite army. So that dream was going throughout this entire camp. And so that's why when you see them go down and they have all of these uh, lamps and they have these trumpets, what do they shout? For the Lord and for Gideon. You think that rang a bell with the Midianite army? As they've all had this dream and this interpretation, and now they're thinking, uh-oh. And what do they do? They say, see you later, we're leaving. We've already seen this play out. We don't want to be a part of this. How did God defeat Midian? Through a dream. Want to know why the title slide was dream power? That very reason is that through a power of a dream, God was not only able to strengthen uh, Gideon, he was also able to defeat an entire army. They didn't have to do anything. They didn't have to go down there and fight. They just had to go down there and start blowing a trumpet and shouting. And the battle was taken care of for them. And the lesson we find from this isn't it awesome that God will provide us strength when we're weary? Notice Gideon was afraid. He was terrified. God said, don't worry, I'll strengthen you. Go down there. And so he went down there, he heard a dream, and he heard the interpretation of the dream and said, oh, God is going to take care of us. How awesome is that? Numerous times in the New Testament, don't we find God saying the same thing? Hey, I'll provide you strength when you're weary. When you're in times of hardship, I will give you strength. Whose fault of it is it if we're never strengthened by God? It's our own, isn't it? God has provided us so much. God gave Gideon to, to, uh, a dream to give him strength. 
if you notice in Paul, in 2 Corinthians, Paul writes in verse 12 about his thorn. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of my Christ may rest upon me. Sometimes when we think about those thorns, we think of them as an aggravation. We think of them as, I really don't want this in my life. Paul thought the same thing. He even pleaded to God, please take this out of my life. But then he finally realized, oh, this is actually helping me. This is actually strengthening me. This is actually making me better. And notice, God said his grace is sufficient for Paul to overcome his thorn. Paul says, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. See, he switched his perspective. He started looking at this thorn, these things that are struggling, and these things that are causing him to be weary as, oh, these are actually causing me to become stronger. See, and God will do that. Jesus also said, come to me, all those who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Isn't that strength? Don't you find more strength when you get more rest? See, there's so many times in the New Testament where God is saying, hey, I will make you stronger. Just let me. But it is also those times where we say, hey, God, I need help getting stronger. And he says, okay, watch this. There's going to be some things that come into your life that are going to make you stronger. Right? You start, you start thinking about those times where you're praying for courage. And God sends you opportunities that you are a little bit worried of. You start praying for patience. Maybe God blesses you with a child. Right? Do you learn patience when you have children? Yeah. And maybe you are praying for patience and all of a sudden a trial comes into your life. Do you learn patience through a trial? But if you look at James 1, 2 through 4, you also gain what? Endurance, strength, going through that trial. See, God will provide that strength. We have to go to him. When we find ourselves in, in situations where we're weary, Maybe look at the, the situation differently. See how it can uh, affect your strength. It actually help you become stronger. But also know that God is putting in that because he wants to help you. He wants you to grow stronger. He wants you to be that strong Christian that can help others. So always remember that when we're weary, God will provide us strength. Now, look at this last section of this text and then... Um, we will end this lesson. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, a sword for the lamp, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried and, and they cried out and fled when they blew the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade, against all the army. And the army fled as far as Abethshatah toward Zerorah, as far as the border of Abel-Meholah by Tabath. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh. And they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them. 
as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they captured the waters as far as Beth Barah and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the winepress of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. It was one thing for Gideon and the army to go down there and to scare everybody out of the camp. It was another thing to finish the job, right? How important was that? And notice God can win any battle, and I think you've understood that throughout this entire lesson. God can take 300 people and defeat a massive army. Well, we've seen that numerous times throughout the Old Testament, right? God will take this little bit of people and defeat everybody. But what was fascinating about this is that Gideon didn't just let that victory be it. They finished the job. Uh, they did what God ultimately wanted them to do back in Joshua, kick all the people out of the land. And so that's what they did. They chased down all the rest of Midian and wanted to go after them, and they got their princes and they killed them. But how fascinating, how amazing is it that we have a God that can take 300 people and without really raising a sword against them, but just blowing a trumpet and saying for the Lord and for Gideon, he can defeat an entire army. And that should give us comfort that God can win any battle against any person. Now, you're probably already thinking, how is he going to apply this to me? How is he going to put this into a Christian's life today? There may be people in your life that you're battling. There may be things in your life that you're battling. Who can defeat them? God. God can take care of those. You may have enemies in your life. Have you prayed for them? Because who can defeat those enemies? Maybe God can soften those enemies' hearts. If not, there's going to be vengeance taken upon them anyway, so who am I to care? But have you prayed for those people? Have you let God fight the battle for you? If you think about maybe there are situations in your life that you're going through, have you let God fight for you? Or are you trying to do all things by yourself? Or are you trying to put it all on your shoulders? Don't do that. Let God fight the battle for you. Let God win the battle for you, and then you can give him glory. And how great would that be? To be able to stand on the other side of that battle that you were facing and say, boy, God did all of that for me. And you know what people are going to say? I want God to help me through my battles. And guess what? You've just opened a door of opportunity. Actually, God opened that door of opportunity, right? And you can use that opportunity to reach out to people and to help people, all because you let God fight your battles and you didn't try to win them on your own. God can win any battle, whatever you have going on, whether it's financially related, whether it's marriage related, whether it's job related, whether whatever it is, God can help fight that battle with you and win that battle for you. I hope you have enjoyed this lesson. I really enjoyed getting to go through it because you get to, when you read it and you understand it, you see what the truth is in this lesson. And it's very beneficial for me to understand about how great God is by looking at these Old Testament stories, these Old Testament narratives, and see what God was able to do throughout history. And I hope that encourages you this morning. If you're here and you find yourself in need of strength, Maybe you're in that time of life where you've found yourself pretty weary. You've got stuff going on. 
a variety of things, not just one, and you find yourself struggling and you need prayers and you would love some encouragement, we'd love to pray for you. We'd love to do that this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and there's a uh, a situation in your life you're needing to repent of and you would like to do that publicly and you'd like to ask us to pray for you and to help you on that road as you're getting your life back to God and you're trying to leave those sins behind we'd love and encourage you to uh, come this morning so we can pray for you or maybe you're here this morning and you're someone who is ready to put Christ on a baptism uh, you're ready to have your sins washed away become a child of God and be added to the number of his people We'd love for that morning to be this morning. If you have a need, I'd encourage you to come while we stand and sing the song of invitation.